Welcome to the Kinjas Podcast. Here we will discuss dance, life, and whatever the f we want. Welcome, welcome back to the Kinjas Podcast, Movement in the Shadows. We are your host, Ben. Bonjour, je m'appelle Shao. Wow. <laughs> wow. I was thinking about this all day, man. <laughs> I, just to, I just want to try it. Dude, do it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We're back. We're back. Okay, wow. Today we have a very, very, very special guest. I'm super excited about this one. I actually had to write down this intro just because, like, I I had to do it justice. Hey. This man's accomplishments, his accolades, they just go forever. Hey. So let me do this. Let me do this. In 2010, named Best New Chef by Food and Wine. Wow. In 2013, he had a New York Times best-selling memoir slash cookbook called L.A. Sun. Included in Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World in 2016. Wow. That was big. That was big. Yes. 2017, his restaurant local received the first ever LA Times Restaurant of the Year Award. Boom, boom, boom. Co-owner and co-founder of the world-famous Kogi Taco Truck. Delicious. As well as Chego, A-Frame, Alibi Room, Commissary, Pot, and of course, Local. The technical advisor... To John Favreau in the movie The Chef, which amazing is one of my movie. all-time favorite movies. Amazing, amazing, Wowzers. And this guy's a straight-up game changer, literally tastemaker, haha. And just a K-Town OG, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Roy Choi. Welcome. Da-da-da-da. Bonjour, bonjour. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, <laughs> well, Roy, welcome to the podcast. So we call this uh, Movement in the Shadow. So basically... Uh, the idea behind this is it's like the behind the hustle, but more of just like what people see of, uh, you know, most people in like social media, they'll see like a snapshot. They'll they get a little highlight reel of like, oh, this is what my life looks like to you. But you never really get like the full story. So this is just really your open road to just kind of tell your story as you see it, as you want to say it. No filters, just just do you. So it's just talking about the hustle, man. That's great because what you say is true. I think in this world now, I mean, I, I I don't hate this world. I love it. You know, I love all social media, but we do live in a cliff note version of yeah. the world right now. Whereas, like you guys as dancers, know there's a lot of hard work behind the scenes, and then what you what people see is a culmination of all that hard work. Yeah. But um, and talent and whatever vibe and but. Uh, but now we're in this world where it's like you only see the pretty sometimes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah there's, a hustle. Sure. there's a hustle behind it. Absolutely sure. a hustle. But let, let's get into it. So let's start with the story, man. I feel like uh, mm-hmm. I have so much to learn from you. I'm sure all of our listeners, you got a lot of dancers listening to you, but I'm sure you got like a whole bunch of other like young folks who are aspiring to be whatever they want to be. So where'd you grow up? Uh, yeah, what's that whole story like? All right. Well, I used to uh, I used to actually dance when I was young. Hey! I come from the battle era, like way in the you know early nineties, late eighties. Yeah. But um, but uh, I don't know where all that rhythm went. But it, <laughs> it went into my food. But I grew up. In, I grew up in K Town. Yeah. I grew up in K Town, and uh, we moved a lot actually. K Town, West LA, Crenshaw, downtown, and West Hollywood. And then in junior high, I moved to Orange County. Okay. Like, we were dirt poor until I was thirteen. And then overnight, my parents became rich. And, you know, being Asian, um, it was it was their main goal. They yeah. came here with nothing in their pockets. Yeah. 
And like for me, like philosophically, I have other things now as an American that I dream about and things like that. But for them, it was about just getting money. And um, how did they become rich overnight? Uh, jewelry. Oh. So up until then, we did we did everything every immigrant family does. Yeah. You know, we ran liquor stores, restaurants, um, uh, dry cleaners, uh, one hour photo shops, yeah. all that all that stuff. The whole nine yards, uh, hustling Amway and. And uh, herbal life on the side. Yeah. All that, all that. Yeah. My mom was a hustler, selling, <laughs> selling kimchi out of the trunk, yeah. going to the bowling wow. alleys, going to the the parties, and all those things. In Korean, we have something called K meeting, which is um, it's like the underground underground network of uh, Korean parents, right? Or Bro, my parents got down with that. You too. got down with yeah. that because you know a lot of us come here with no money, we can't get jobs, uh, maybe illegal in some cases, probably. <laughs> And so it, we're all working like as busboys or dishwashers or stuff like that. And but every Korean is so stubborn they want to be their own boss. So they have this thing called Ken meeting where they meet and everyone takes their money and they put it in the pot. So it's kind of like what you guys do as, as as a as a collective as a unit. So everyone trusts each other. They put the money in the pot. One person gets that pot every month, and then Whoa. they open a store. So that's really how the economy started. Yeah. Um, so then someone would open. Trophy store or a one-hour photo or a market because of that money because there was no money before that. So um, we were doing all that. Nothing worked. Bankrupt, 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 bankrupt. And then they got into jewelry and overnight, boom. Wow. Yeah. What year was that? Like That, that was like uh, probably mid-80s, like 84, wow, okay. 85. But it was literally overnight. The, literally living in apartments and then um, no, no warning. The next day, my dad's like, we're moving. And then wow. he, I mean, it was like, it's truly wow. a storybook. Like, wow. literally brown station wagon, beat up bucket, um, just living in an apartment. Next morning, he rolls up in a brand new Fleetwood Brown Cadillac. Oh, <laughs> <damn>. <laughs> 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 and he drives us to Orange County, yeah. and then there's this this huge white house, you know, That's and um, my whole life changed on a dime. But I, I look back, and I'm, I'm cool with it. At the time, it was tough. Right, because at the time I'm coming from LA, sure. I moved to the suburbs of Orange County. It was a huge culture shock. But um, as I look back, I think it's probably was what was meant to be in my life because now I can feed everyone. I don't right. discriminate against anybody, and so like I understand what it is to be a teenager in Orange County. I understand yeah. what it is to be a kid and an adult in Los Angeles. You know, and all of the different economic layers in between too. You know, so. Um, it helped me as a chef. Sure. Know, it was hard as a teenager. So growing up, though, was uh, like food and like to be a chef like on your plan? Was that the dream or was it something else? I mean, are you no, dancing? I mean, nah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I, I don't think being a professional chef was ever in my dream until I had nothing left to do. So um, the way I became a chef was in my mid-20s, I was at rock bottom. Like literally, rock. I don't know if any of your listeners or you guys have ever been there. You're still pretty young, you know. I know. I've definitely been there. Yeah, but you For know, sure. like yeah. literally, where you burned every bridge, rock yeah. bottom. I mean, you don't even want to live no more, to mm-hmm. be honest. And at that moment, I found cooking, and it saved my life. But before that, I grew up in a restaurant. I grew up around food. I grew up in a family where literally, there's a refrigerator can't even close because there's so much food. But yeah. Yet, yet we can't pay our bills. You know right. What I mean? Um, I can't, they can't, I'm wearing hand-me-downs and turning t-shirts inside out. Um, lights barely can go on. But then 
literally our food is our refrigerator full. Yeah. Full of food. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, a, you know, it's not bad. For anything, but then there's caviar. Like, how do we <laughs> And um, so it was always around me. Um, I always loved food. In high school, um, how I paid for myself and my car and stuff, I worked in restaurants. But it was never anything that I thought would be a profession, ever. Because my parents weren't going for that. Um, I didn't even think that the two made sense as a, as a career. Yeah. So um, I did the whole thing. I went to college. But it was the middle of law school where I was sitting in class and I realized, like, you know, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. And I walked out of law school and um, I just tried to figure it out from there. And that's where I went through my dark period. And then at the end of that kind of tunnel, you know, because you're going to go through certain tunnels in life. And at the end of that tunnel is where I found food. As soon as I found food, I've been off and running since then. That's been 20 years. Was ago. it like Sick. your parents that taught you how to cook or you just like, I taught yourself? I think so. I, I think think I think I taught myself and I, I definitely learned because I went to culinary school mm-hmm. and I, I staged in the best restaurants, you know, in, in New York. And um, But I think the, the foundation of being around food and watching my mom cook and all my aunties and everyone cook, being in the restaurant and seeing all the old ladies and the ajumas make the kimchi and everything. And it was just something that was like spiritually within me. And yeah. then, so the moment it was my turn to step on stage or do whatever it is, um, I was ready. Mm. You know, it was like born identity. Yeah. So, you know I mean? Oh yeah. That's sick. You mentioned like, uh, it's like a spirituality about food. Is that, is that how you kind of view food? Like what is your relationship with food? I think so. Um, um, I don't know how it is with you guys as dancers, but like, Everyone has their own styles, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. some people are technical. Some people are extremely complicated and, and maybe theatrical or whatever the case may be. Um, same thing with chefs. Uh, some chefs are extremely scientific, technical. Some are considered the best in the world. Some are very precise, mm-hmm. almost mathematically, like um, just genius level precise. Uh, I've always been someone that's been more freestyle. And mm-hmm. um, I've been someone that's been more like... A little bit messy, a little bit, uh, a little bit raw. You know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little more underground. I'm like kind of demo tape level versus like, you know, like label label. Yeah. You're like a true b boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true b boy chef. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it would be more like that. Yeah, where it's a little bit not perfect, um, but through that, there's something that gives goosebumps to everyone. You mm-hmm. know, and something that all of the the true heads and cats really respect. You know, and that's someone I've always been as a chef and that's i think what made kogi so strong yeah is that i was able to speak to the streets and like really connect um through this spirituality of, of like food yeah you know in a time where we needed like some loving and some, some care this was because kogi happened in 2008 and, you know america was going through like some tough stuff at that yeah time. the economy crashed um the the real estate market you know went upside down mm-hmm. and People were trying to figure their life out. And at the same time, social media just came on board at that time with Twitter sure. and all that. So, And then we were just rolling these streets and cooking, and we didn't have to explain ourselves. I think that's where my spirituality came through. It's mm-hmm. like I was able to, especially as being an Asian, we don't really get that many opportunities to express ourselves or tell our story yeah. in, in a mainstream or pop culture format. And... Um, and so with Kogi, what happened was we were able to like really, really express ourselves truly as we are, you know, as Asian Americans, but mainly as like LA folks, you right. know, and 
not have to have like our identity define who we are. We just put it out there and people could understand it, you know, and especially here where we are right now in San Gabriel Valley, this was some of our biggest stops. Yeah. Rosemead, Temple City, South El Monte, you know, Alhambra, Arcadia, you know, shout out to all of them because um, they're the ones that really, really understood what we were trying to say. And the food was almost like telling their story as well. So that's what I mean by spiritual. It was like we were um, telling the story of all of our collective kind of feelings and emotions and life together through this one bite of, of, you know, sesame oil, soy sauce, garlic, ginger, green onions, you know, marinated, this this kind of bean marinade, you know, yeah, this dude, chili, all the bomb, you know, dude, all the bombs. So and then yeah. one bite oh, in the parking lot. That sounds under, amazing. Under the street lamps, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it was, oh, it, so was it was really, really great. And we yeah. were connecting to like I see with your guys' studio here, like I we were connecting with a lot of youth, mm-hmm. you know, that that they just couldn't find a connection to and um Kogi was speaking to them. Yeah. Um I feel like a lot of uh like when people go into like like the culinary arts, they, they view food as like the, the, the gourmet to the, you know, I think like, you know, five-star Michelin star rated, like, you know, restaurants. Um, but your approach to food was kind of like the opposite end of that spectrum. Was that something that, um, you did it just to like simply like rebel against like culture or was that just something that you were just about? No, it was all by chance, but we, we definitely redefined everything. And that's where like, that time 100 most influential thing yeah. comes into play yeah. because uh, at first Kogi was like a lot of things in life. It was kind of a little bit shallow, I guess. Like we were all out of a job. All we were trying to do was get money and get mm-hmm. phone numbers. That's all we were trying yeah. to do. Like most of my crew was very much younger than I was. So they were all single still. Yeah. So we parked in front of the club. <laughs> we parked in front of the I'll get phone numbers in that That sounds like my kind of job. So all we were looking to do was make a little bit of cash, sure. cook up, and just have fun. Yeah. That, that's really, but through that, sometimes through things like that, you find your purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And we found our purpose because at first, with those two objectives, we ended up in front of the nightclubs in Hollywood serving people at 2 a.m. Through that, we made our way to the colleges. Through that, we made our way to the streets and to all of the, you know, all of the surrounding neighborhoods like South Bay, San Gabriel, everything, right? <clears throat> and then, um, but what really happened was we started off with no plan, just trying to do that, and then the streets started talking to us. There was literally thousands of people, you know, in mm-hmm. parking lots. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't, like, escape from that. Yeah. And so we quickly realized we were stepping into something that was way beyond us. Yeah. Way beyond it took, but it took a few months for us to really digest like how powerful this thing is. Cause yeah. you know, you, you never know, you know, you didn't. And then if you, if you think you're, you're too much of something too quick, it, you know, you might get to your head or something. So we were just trying to figure this whole thing out, but yeah, there was no plan. Sure. No plan. Did you did you ever have like a regular restaurant job, like as yeah, a, you know, for a restaurant and all that? For me personally, again, like the team of Kogi, um, they were in their early twenties when we started, so they were just getting started. They were like my disciples, you know. And then I was like the elder statesman and the one with experience. The reason I think Kogi worked is is because of that recipe between the between them and myself, mm. which is they held the youth the courage, the fearlessness, all those things, right? Mm-hmm. 
we were at rock bottom. There's nothing to lose. And then I was a little bit older, but I had all the experience, right? So I was a little bit of the coach, kind of the wisdom to everything. Sure. And I was ready. I was ready in the moment because I was a chef for, at that time, ready for 10, 15 years. I had been running huge hotels and banquet kitchens mm-hmm. and stuff. So I knew how to cook for a lot of people at one time. Maybe if I was only a restaurant cook. Yeah. Um, for example, if I don't know, like whatever field you're in, there are different levels to it, whether you're ballet, tap, you know, yeah. hip hop, whatever. Like if I had only been a restaurant cook, which is maybe like if I had only been a ballet dancer, maybe I wouldn't have been ready for this. But because mm-hmm. I had run hotels and banquet kitchens and stuff, when the moment approached me, I knew how to cook for a thousand people. You know, like if you run a small restaurant here, you know, like a cool restaurant, and there's maybe only 10 tables and you're only doing 50 people a night. Um, you may not have the, the muscle memory to figure out how you cook for a thousand people. Yeah. But because I had it in that moment appeared, I was like, boom, it was just natural. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we, uh, I think going back to your original question, we changed everything because we cooked the food that was here from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. The problem a lot with a lot of the structure and the, 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 the grading elements of, of anything in this world is all European based sometimes. Mm-hmm. Again, even with dance, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's based around European ballet or European um, uh, measurements of things. Same with food, fine dining. Your original question was fine dining. Fine dining is all measured by a European um, benchmark. Sure. But we, we shattered that whole shit and, mm-hmm. and we just we made it about Los Angeles. And then by doing that, what happened was uh, people had to listen, people had to pay attention. And it changed, it changed what it meant to be great food. Yeah. So great food could be on the streets, in a parking lot, mm-hmm. in Temple City, at a Home Depot, and it could be the best food in the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean? And then, so then that changes everything. Because before that, what's happening is everything is dictated by people that don't understand what it's like to live like we do. Sure. Right? And then so what we do looks like it's, like it's less important. It looks like it's primitive. It looks like it's just how, you know, the world views anyone that's from that's a, from a marginalized community or is brown and skin color or whatever. Sure. Like, it looks like you don't fit the mold because the mold is built around the European model. Again, we shattered that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you mentioned, um, like, like understanding all, all parts of restaurants and food and just knowing how to have a relationship with, with yeah. food as a whole. Um, I mean, that's just the way that we approach dancing, yeah. what we do. Like people ask us like, Oh, you guys are like hip hop dancers. And we're like, uh, like kinda not really. And like, and what, the reason why we don't classify ourselves with that, because it's more than just one style. Exactly. Like we, we've learned, you know, styles from hip hop, but then there's like jazz, contemporary ballet, modern. And then we incorporate all those things into uh, like a team setting where like a lot of us are like former directors of teams. So we know how to coach and lead people. And then, you know, we kind of just assimilated everything into one and we just kind of call it like urban dance because that's yeah. just the best way to describe it. It's kind of disruptive and it, it creates like a fusion of all sorts of yeah. things. It's kind of like we, I don't know, we call it like the MMA of dance, right? You yeah. just like fuse it all together and it works. And I feel like that's what's dope about what you've done um, cause I mean the whole food truck culture was like, I mean, for me, when I remember food trucks, this is like when I was a kid, I would go to my dad's, like yeah. he had like a pest control in K-Town. It would just be like taco trucks. Right. And like, 
And my mom would like, I mean, sometimes I'd eat, but she's like, oh, that stuff's bad for you. That stuff's like cheap food. And then like right around that 2008 time, there was like that food truck boom, right? And I think Anthony Bourdain like shouted you out for that. Like what was that whole like uh, introduction or reintroduction of the food truck culture? Well, I feel, I always look at it like we were the, we were the children or descendants of the original food truck movement of Mm -hmm. food truck. Because you have to understand that, a little brief history of food trucks first, right? And I won't go too deep, but it's like you have to understand about the, the immigration of the Latinos and Mexican of Central Americans here to Los Angeles. And then you have to understand the construction boom of the 80s here in downtown Los Angeles. So those two things are the two history points of, of street food and, and food trucks here in L.A. And so one is tacos and, and Latino street vendors here mm-hmm. in East L.A., Boyle Heights, South L.A., Huntington Park, all of that, right? And then that is a lifestyle. That is food, that is food for the community. Those are restaurants for the community. And then you have the, the construction boom of the 80s and then um, the hot dog carts and, and like stuff from the Venice Boardwalk in the 70s. And those are, the again, two historical points of where street food comes from in L.A. But the construction boom was a huge one because – those of you that don't, don't know, L.A. really, really grew from a, a building standpoint in the in the early and mid-80s mm-hmm. because Japan had mad money at that time, mm-hmm. and they were buying everything, and they were building all the skyscrapers. Yeah. So the thing about skyscrapers is when you're working as an iron worker or as a, a whatever it is, you're up 78 stories mm-hmm. in the sky, you know, on, on, on basically toothpicks, right? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and you don't really have time to come back down and um and there are no restaurants or anything because you're building basically the city so there's nothing around you so basically these food trucks were were a life source for all these guys and a lot of these guys are tough guys right big tough guys mm-hmm. so they bring like two huge uh thermos containers and they they hit the food trucks come at 4 30 a.m and they basically load up, you know, four sandwiches, four big Gatorades, yeah. four Snicker <laughs> bars. Stop the day, right? Stop the day, right? <laughs> yeah. They go up, and that's the culture. So it was lunch. Those are called loncheras, mm-hmm. lunch trucks, and then we have taco trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of those two cultures, everyone looked at those things as dirty, right? They didn't understand it. But um, what we were able to do was take the soul of, because we were descendants of those same um, loncheras and same mm-hmm. taco vendors. Um, so what we did was because we had technology and we were younger, we were able to take that soul and translate it to everyone. And, um, and I think the way we did it also is like what you were saying about learning all forms. If, if any, just because I mentioned European models before, it doesn't mean you don't have to learn that stuff. If you ever want to break a rule or create your own lane on something, you gotta not, if you're lucky enough that you don't have to do this, then, then. I applaud you, but in most cases, you want to learn. You want to learn the game if you want to break. You know, if you sure. want to break the rules, yeah. learn the rules before you break the Absolutely. rules. So for me, I learned everything. I learned French cuisine. I learned. I went to culinary school. I I, I learned how to cook. Um, small restaurant, big restaurant, small hotel, big hotel, uh, region, corporate, you know, country. Everything. I learned all the little things. So. When it became my time to, to express myself, um, I combined my upbringing with my training. Because mm-hmm. sometimes those things can be separate. Like, you know, like you have a work face and you have a, you have a, a home face, right? Yeah. It's like 
you could be two different people. Like, I guess I've always lived that life growing up, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, a lot of you Asian kids out there, uh, it's probably less now, but in my, in my era, like you lived a double life, like you have your, your home life, um, with your family and stuff and the food and, um, so your parents sometimes don't speak English mm-hmm. and all those things. And then, then you're a teenager and you got to deal with all that stuff of being a teenager. And then you go to, and you go out to the real world and you got to be American. Right? Yeah. So you kind of, you kind of live a double life. Um, I think in many ways that's like work too. It's like you learn, learn the craft, learn everything you can. And if you really got the skill to express yourself and find your own lane, um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta know what you're doing. Yeah. I think sometimes right now we get caught up in thinking that the, because if we are talking about the hustle and the stuff behind the scenes, it's not sexy or it's not exciting to build the the repertoire. Mm-hmm. I see it in the rap game. Mm-hmm. I see it in other things, right? Mm-hmm. It's like everyone wants to be a star right away. Yep. And, um, and again, one out of a million may have that talent right out the gate, yep. you know, maybe like a Post Malone or something like that, mm-hmm. right? You know? But then for every post alone, there's like a million others yeah. that are just a little. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so, so what will happen is you may, you may get some little shine at the beginning, but because you don't have any roots and any um, depth in your, in your knowledge, sometimes what will happen is like a house of cards, you'll tip and mm-hmm. you'll fall mm-hmm. and, and it becomes very noticeable. Like, and, and not everyone will, will say that to you, you know, like, I'm sure you guys see it if you if someone's trying to audition in front of you or something. I see it when someone tries to cook for me or mm-hmm. it's getting a lot of shine right now and I see their food or I see how they're acting. Or I, I won't say it because I want everyone to succeed, but I can tell very, very quickly whether or not they've put in the work or, or not. Totally. Yeah. And, um, and it shows. It really does. Yeah, I mean, this whole social media thing, I mean, that's like really the culture that we live in. Um, we talk a lot about social media because we get tons of kids, students that come up to us mm-hmm. that like, their their question is literally like, how do I become like famous on YouTube? You know, yeah. and like, and then we're just like, I don't know how to answer that question because like, there's so many ways to go about it. But like, I mean, obviously we want to give them something real, but like, I think we try to like always, you know, teach our students, like it's not about being, if you're seeking fame, um, you may be able to get that off of like a stupid viral video. You might get famous off of that, but like, is that really some sort of substantial talent that you can stand on and have some sort of longevity after that, right? Um, and but when I, and speaking of social media though, so when you guys kind of did the Kobe thing in 08, yeah, that was the birth of like Twitter and all that, yeah. right? And that put like a huge part in your your guys being able to just be mobile and also just let people know like, yo, we're over here and we're, you know what I'm saying? But that being such a new social media, was that something that you knew like, yo, this is hot. I got to be on this. Or was that just something like, I'm just going to try it. And like people just kind of caught on. Well, I think we knew, but really the, 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 the real reason we used it is because it was free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we didn't have no those. money at yeah, that time yeah. man. we started COVID with 1500 bucks damn wow. 1500 bucks wow. and we haven't looked back we've never yeah. had to take money nothing we're completely independent we lived off every single penny and dollar that came in from day one and saved it like like the cheap Asians that we are you know <laughs> and you know opened a small little shop from there but we won't and um but uh but yeah, it, it, we started using Twitter as basically someone suggested it to us. It was free. 
we didn't know what to do with it. We just started putting our, our locations. We had one of our team members, Alice, she was writing all kinds of weird stuff on there and just expressing her creative thoughts. And she was amazing. And she was building a, a following. And, um, and a lot of times we were just kind of like figuring it out in real time. But what it looked like from the outside, now that I look back, it looked like we were this master, huge company creating a scavenger hunt, <laughs> you know, all yeah. through the streets of L.A. Like yeah. it was like this huge, like orchestrated thing. Sure. But we were literally like the Three Stooges figuring it out. And um, That's exactly and, how it looked. Yeah, I, right? I, I'm from the Bay Area, and mm-hmm. around that time, like yeah. on Twitter, all my like SoCal friends were talking about Togi Track. I was like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Like, you just never know where they are. You just got to find them on Twitter, yeah. and then you go there. So that, that's the funny yeah. thing is um, it really became something special for everyone here in L.A. Like it, it would be like if it happened right now, the four of us would be like, you know, oh, shit, it's, it's going to show up at 9 p.m. tonight. And we would all mm-hmm. try to figure out how to get there. And it seemed like something that um, like a rave or like a party or something yeah. like we had to wait for. And then, oh, and then we would all go and there would be flash mobs. But again, we but on the inside, we were just figuring out. We're like, oh, this corner looks good. I don't have ways yet, so I'm just gonna park and people always buy this. Yeah, that's wild. Great, man. Um, so yeah, with that whole spread of things, so like, I mean, obviously, yeah, we talk about the social media thing, but you had to have had a legit product for that to even be like a culture. Like it may have like a hype, you know, kind of a hype piece thing in the initial stages, but unless you got something legit, it's not going to grow and it's not going to, you know, it's not going to create that following. Right. I mean, the taco at the end of the day was bomb. Yeah. It was just, it was something that when people ate it, I always say when people, cause I saw every single person eat it. I was the one cooking, handing it to them and I could see the reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, there was something that happened where everyone got hypnotized mm-hmm. the first time they ate Kobe. Because it tasted like, I mean, it was literally, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm not just saying because I'm on here, but it was like when I first saw, you know, you guys in the Jabberwockies dance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like something you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that you can connect to. Kobe was like that in the sense that when the first time people ate it, it tasted Mexican, it tasted Korean, it felt Mexican, it felt Korean, it felt like L.A., it felt like all these things that we've all been feeling together, but all of a sudden it came into one thing, and it just blew everyone's mind. And yeah. on top of that, it was delicious. Yeah. So um, it just, it made people, like, stop thinking for a second. Yeah. That makes sense, right? So it's like when you're in that flow or that zone, it's like when you don't have to count steps or think and all these things, it made this, like whole city stopped thinking for a second mm-hmm. and in that moment where everyone stopped thinking is when everyone got connected to Kobe mm-hmm. and that's why um, we're still here 10 years later because we stayed true to the culture yeah. that was the most important thing to us because at that time when we started frozen yogurt was huge mm-hmm. right it just came up but that was a huge roller coaster it goes up right. and it comes all the way down now all these frozen yogurt spots are gone because because those things were quick quick money and I think in a way if you look at it what we're talking about is frozen yogurt is like social media in a mm. sense right like if it, it's there's a quick spike but if at the end of the day if you're not if you're not true to the culture or the craft it's gonna fall yeah and I don't want to sound like it's a lecture or nothing because you don't have to there are, everyone doesn't have to follow the same way you can take your own way like you can start shallow just like we did you can mm. start just wanting to be famous like mm. like people are asking you 
and you do a viral video and you don't have any experience. But I think the key to longevity after that, even if you start shallow, is accept that opportunity, acknowledge it, and then put in the work. Mm -hmm. Some people have to put in the work beforehand. Like I put in the work beforehand. Um, so when the moment came, I already had that all that knowledge. You know, I was like a black belt already. And then MMA came along. Right. That's right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's sick. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't have to be the path for everyone, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You could be a white belt, and then and then it comes along. You get viral, but then you got to put in the work too. Right. Right? You can't just you can't just be viral for the rest of your life. And, yeah, because it will fall. I guarantee you. Yeah, you still got to become a black belt. You still got to get there. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't matter. It's like tattoos. Tattoos, you can get them when you're 14, you can get them when you're 44. It doesn't matter. It's right. all about timing, right? And mm -hmm. it's about when that time is right for you. Um, but if it does happen to you and you do get famous and you do figure out YouTube and, and you get it, um, if you don't put the work back into it after that, you know, like, people are going to move on. Yeah. But if you do put the work, look at Cody 10 years later, we're stronger than ever because we respect the culture. We, you guys, you guys are just about yeah. to grow. You're just starting the podcast, you're growing. Maybe with your fame at the beginning, if you didn't put the work back in, you would have been a flash in the pan. Too. Sure. Mm. Sure. That's great, man. I hope you guys are freaking listening to this. Yeah, this is some <laughs> freaking gold right now. Um, so what was your transition like from like the food truck into like brick and mortar? And so like what was the first yeah. first one that you opened up after Kobe? First restaurant I opened up, real restaurant, uh, full-blown was A-Frame on the west side. Mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, right where kind of East Venice meets Culver City on Washington. Um, and this is a different concept from Kobe, Totally right? different yeah. concept. Um, what happened was I opened two restaurants at the same time. Right there, One was called Chego, which is a rice bowl, mm -hmm. a quick service place. That concept, um, these both happened uh, like a year and a half after Kobe started. Um, and Chego was ours, and we built it with all the money that we saved. It was a small little mini mall place in Palms. And um, that concept was designed around me thinking about that double life as a kid. You know, like I could never, because when I moved to Orange County, even though we moved to the suburbs, my mom was still immigrant as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so like, when I brought my friends over and they opened a refrigerator, there was no cereal or like stuff, Oreo cookies. It was like, you know, it like was kimchi. Kong, yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Kong, kimchi. Yeah. Uh, fermenting, all the, the bottles were like spilling and <laughs> and, and yeah. oh, oh, and it was always like <sighs> crazy. My mom, uh, dead fish, you know, the oh, kuru, yeah. kurubi, oh, yeah, just all over the front yard yeah. and dried squid, <laughs> you know, on no, the clothesline. houses are wild, wild. <laughs> and you know, and that mixed that with like suburbs, and people yeah. were just looking at us like, who the hell are these yeah. guys? And so it was. It was a big scar for me, and I, I had to figure it out. But then when I had this chance to open Chego, it was like, let me confront all that. Mm -hmm. Let me confront all this stuff, this baggage that I've had in my life. And let me open the, the like the poem was, let me open the refrigerator to the world. Mm -hmm. you know, instead, of, instead of hiding it, instead of being ashamed of it. And we opened it up and made these rice bowls filled with all of these imaginary things that I had in my refrigerator. And um, people loved it. Chego's Chego's as bomb as Kogi, and then, but A Frame was my first real restaurant that had liquor and all that good stuff, waiters and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and that came from a relationship 
uh, of one of our first Kogi supporters. His name is Dave, and um, I really, I really never intended to be a businessman. I never knew how to be a businessman. I was mm-hmm. a salary man before Kogi started. Mm-hmm. I was a chef. They just got a paycheck and two weeks vacation. And before that, I just worked odd jobs. Um, I, you know, I, I never knew how to like run my own business. Yeah. So when this whole thing happened to me, they became more creative art projects and businesses. So. I got involved as a creative partner to all these projects. So A-Frame, all I had to do, I didn't have to worry about the bills or labor or any of those things. I just had to create the concept and the menu. That concept was built in an old IHOP. And, Tile. Uh, yeah, so it's the A-Frame building. <laughs> and um, we started the concept as like, we were a little ahead of our time, I think. we um, The concept I had in my mind there was, uh, again, every restaurant became kind of a poem, me confronting a lot of things that I was keeping inside. Mm -hmm. So A-Frame was about, like, when I was coming up, I've been a food nerd for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I don't look like, I didn't look like a food nerd when I was younger, right? Mm -hmm. And the the homies I hung around with were definitely not food nerds. And, um, you know, we were sagging, smelling like weed, you know, (laughs) just being young and whatever. But I would take them all to the restaurants. And then also when I would bring family to restaurants, from Korea, um, at that time, what would happen was we would get treated like shit, mm-hmm. basically, you know? So, and it, you know, it hurts. A lot of people don't understand when you're at the other end of racism. Um, they only see sometimes, sometimes our anger, but yeah. they don't, they don't understand that we're also, you know, we also have all the levels of emotion. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a tough guy, you have all the, you know, it hurts. Yeah. It hurts when, <clears throat> when someone, when a waiter, doesn't want you to be there or they put you in the, in the worst table. Mm-hmm. So A-Frame was a concept of what if we opened the door, someone opened the door and it felt like we really wanted you to be there. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's amazing. I feel like, so I, when I look at guys like you, I think of guys like Bruce Lee, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody who uh, immigrated here, uh, didn't look like the people here, um, just super Asian. And it's so easy at like when you're in a place like you feel, I mean, you're literally the minority. There's not a lot of you around. So it's so easy for you to either one, just pack up and go back home to where you came from or just try to assimilate as quickly as possible to become as close to everybody here. But like there's the few that actually want to embrace what's happening and then and then shift culture and under or try to open up doors to that. Yo, let me show you the beauties of my yes. culture. Right. So is that like the that's what, that what I try to do? And um, that's what I try to do every single day. I'm continuing to do it with stuff we'll probably touch on, but with the TV shows and stuff like that. But A-Frame was let me get let me get let me, let me make a restaurant that one everyone can afford that everyone can feel comfortable in no matter how you look. You come in with no shirt, no shoes, however you are. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Come in. We're going to sit you down. Wow. We made tables where everyone had to sit together. Right? Wow. So we kind of redefined the yeah. communal experience. Sure. So it wasn't like uh, those gastro pubs where it was one long table. Yeah. It was like literally small tables where if you and I came in as a two-top mm-hmm. and there were two extra seats, like they, we would two strangers right next mm, to us. So, yeah. So yeah. we would have to, it was food that you all had to eat with your hands. Mm-hmm. And um, we just were spreading this kind of like love, aloha vibe and uh, people got it, man. They, yeah. It really changed. You know, I know people don't write about it as much as like, cause Kogi was a huge impact, but 
A-Frame changed the LA dining scene too because it it made people like really come together in this communal experience. And then after that, like every restaurant became communal. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, it's something that I that I consciously do now all the time is um, you know, I never try to I never try to be make a point of being Asian, but I'm I'm sharing Asian culture more than more than if I said I was Asian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what I get from you is like you're just the real dude, and like yeah, just like everybody, we're layered. You know, we're not uh, identified by I am a whatever Korean American. Like where that's just a part, us like one layer of what I am, and I am you know, a product of the culture that I, you know, that I'm living in now. I like this. These are my hobbies, you know, like my faith may be this, you know, there's so many layers to what we are. Um, so I think when I see you, there's just, I think to me, the, 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 the most, um, or just one of the many, like, I think admirable things of what you represent is, uh, authenticity of, and, and just unashamedly who you are. Right. And I think that, uh, really shows in everything that you create in terms of even all your food concepts, and so from one concept to the next, like everything's very different from each other, right? None of them, nothing like... And that's because it goes back to, um, I didn't know how to be a businessman, right? Mm. So I didn't like pre-plan all of these things. It, they just became, um, they became creative expressions that I had the opportunity to have. So Chego and A-Frame, and then um, after that was uh, the hotel, mm. like... The hotel in Koreatown, the Line Hotel, yeah, and pot and commissary, and so that was a chance for me to go back to my K-town roots, sure, um, and make a world-class experience in a world-class hotel in the middle of Koreatown, mm-hmm. where the world would have to come and take notice. And I feel we did that. We changed. We, um, I'm no longer involved with that project. It just actually ended yesterday. But, yeah, um, I saw on your yeah, IG, man. It's just crazy. Ended yesterday, but it's okay. It was a great five years because what we did was. We made the world take notice of Koreatown. In the time that we we opened that project, um, no one would have ever thought to stay in Koreatown if you're coming from Germany or England or New York or yeah. anything like that, right? Um, and so we put we put the world Korea Koreatown on the world stage where everyone came to our town on our terms, and then didn't exclude also the hometown yeah. uh, families as well. Mm-hmm. So it was like. Um, it worked for everyone. It was like everyone from Cape Town was extremely proud. And they also had access. I wanted to create a place where everyone could access it. So um, like most hotels, what happens is you, if you're not staying there, if you don't look like you're supposed to be there, uh, it feels like you're not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to create a place where it was like a train station. Everyone could be there. So free yeah. Wi-Fi. Uh, we threw pool parties upstairs. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you would never imagine swimming in a hotel pool if you weren't staying there. Sure. But we threw crazy parties. You know, tribe called Quest, Stones Throw, mm-hmm. uh, Beat Junkies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Zoe and Dumbfounded. Yep. Everyone, we just lit that place up, and yeah. um, you know that was unheard of for a hotel lobby. So just like I've been a revolutionary in a lot of things, like not only from the streets, but also also to the 10th floor of a hotel mm-hmm. suite, you know, of um, even the, all the little touches, even the room service menu, we did, um, you know, you serve like ramen and spam and eggs, mm-hmm. and, you know, things you really want to eat, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we served it like a, 
Korean grandmothers to give you food. We wrapped it in a big uh, cloth and we put it on your table <laughs> and you wrapped it, you know. So, yeah, like, we, by, by doing all those things, I'm sharing Korean culture, I'm sharing L.A. culture uh, with the world without, um, without forcing them to understand. Yeah, does that make sense? Like, yeah, sure. yeah. Like, um, you know, because what I find is, like, especially with Asians, man, and if any of you older Asians are out here, like, y'all have to stop explaining everything. <laughs> <laughs> the world don't want to hear yeah, that, you know? Do it, you just look tight. boring. You know? uh-huh. just, like, people tune you out. Yeah. You know what I mean? You just got to, like, you have to share your, your, your culture and your craft with people, but you got to entertain them as well, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, everything's not about, like, like what, you know, like, all the rules of, like, what it means or has to be to be Asian, man. And, yeah. Uh, and so that's what we did was we shared Korean, Korean and Koreatown and Latino culture and L.A. culture with the world on a world stage, but did it through all the little creative nuances. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, to my knowledge, uh, the Line Hotel was like the first ever boutique hotel experience mm-hmm. in like K-Town. Oh, yeah. And straight up, man, that was probably the littest like place to hang out oh, on yeah. the weekends. Bro, so, right. The <laughs> lobby was <clears throat> cracking, bro. Crack. I've um, never seen anything like that. Yeah. Oh, you, you guys been there? Oh, oh cracking. yeah, we've Mom, been there. <laughs> to the Line Hotel <laughs> yeah, many times there. as a squad. I remember going there the first time and I was like, what is yeah, this place? lobby, <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. it completely, uh, it just, it shatters everything. And that's what I love to do is I love to shatter Things that that you think are rules that, but once you shatter them, you realize it was actually holding us back from something like, you know, like hotel lobbies. Why why can't you have fun in there? You That's know? true. You know, so um, why can't you? Why can't it be like the best design in the world? You know, things that win awards in architectural magazines. Yeah, and also be shared by the community. You guys definitely ruined all the other hotel lobbies that I've been to. <laughs> After that, those nights, just going yeah. to another hotel lobby, was just like, this isn't the same. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned that you, you said that you're not a businessman, right? And yeah. um, and I'm I, I, I want to ask you um, in a second, but like, um, I think I know what you mean, but I know that. Uh, but I run businesses. Sure, right. And I think it takes a type of businessman to know what you're good at and what you're not good at right exactly so um was that something that you learned like the hard way or did you already know like i just want to be creative so i need someone else to do everything else that i don't want to do so that's a trap amongst a lot of uh people as they grow or try to be successful Mm -hmm. they feel like they have to know and do everything Mm -hmm. and it's also i think a trap is us as people as humans like we feel like we have to know everything Mm -hmm. and um Whereas it's it, it's more powerful to say you don't know something, right? And uh, and so for me, when this whole thing happened in my life ten years ago and everything changed, I was old enough to be, um, I guess, at peace and at zen with myself to say like, uh, I don't need to be all the things that everyone I think that everyone wants me to be. Mm-hmm. I can be who I who I truly am and what I think I'm best at. And so what I'm best at is like coming up with really crazy, weird ideas and concepts mm-hmm. and then pushing those, those, those psychedelic thoughts into reality, mm-hmm. to creating these environments. And so really getting great people around you to do the thing. I can't, I can't like, like do spreadsheets and mm-hmm. bookkeeping and, mm-hmm. 
you know, numbers and payroll and all those things. Like, so I have great people that believe in my vision that uphold their responsibilities. Yeah. And um, without them, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. But I'm very clear in my relationships of what that relationship is. So I say, like, listen, I don't want to do these things, yeah. these things, yeah. these other things. <laughs> you know, this is where I'm best. Are you willing to be my partner in this? And um, in, in most cases, because those people that are around you can't be that creative sometimes, mm -hmm. but they can be a part of the, the collective creative sure. by doing their part. You know, so it takes someone to do the non-fun things. You know, it takes someone to take reservations sure. or uh, do the bookkeeping or do the taxes. You know, um, you know these aren't probably not the best things to talk about on a podcast. <laughs> not that <laughs> it's exciting, real, man. <laughs> but it's real. real. Very real. Awesome. Yeah. I had the rent to yeah. sure. do the real estate to, uh, you know, do all of the little things. Keep keep all of the the files and and pay the accounts payable and the yeah. invoices and all that stuff. That stuff, again, going back to the, the one minute of fame and, and overnight stuff, like those are all things you have to understand. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you have to do them, but you gotta, you gotta understand that those come with the, with the equation. And, um, but I've been able to surround myself with great people who really believe in me. I'm like coach for everybody. And, um, and they allow me to be me, yeah. you know? And from there, I think uh, another big decision I made along the way at the beginning was not to go with investors. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my relationships, like especially with like A-Frame and the hotel and stuff, it's like they, in, in a sense, they pay me to be there, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and I take a management fee. And it's their business, but I run the creative side. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then Kogi and Chego and everything is all independent. We never take money. So... There are two sides to that. One is you maybe don't get as big as like if you guys, I see you guys growing right now. There's a couple paths. One is you could go and take venture capital money, right? And then, or investors, and then you could have 10 dojos around the world mm -hmm. right away overnight with all the best construction and design and everything. Mm -hmm. Seems like a great deal, but what comes with that is a lot of politics, a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm a lot of having to answer things. Sometimes it comes with compromise, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because um, you have to answer to the money sometimes. Yeah. Um, or you could go the path that we went, which I see in the way you guys are going, is you do it independent. Mm -hmm. And then by going independent, um, you don't answer anyone. Mm -hmm. And you protect the culture. Sure. Um, maybe you don't grow as fast. You're more of the turtle mm -hmm. in the race, but the turtle always wins. Mm. Man, so good. Yeah, yeah super relevant <laughs> to us. I mean, like you're literally speaking right into such a real and relevant place for us. Because yeah, we are expanding, we are growing, and um, we we discuss all the time. Like, what's the best way for us to do it? What's what's the way that we're going to be able to sleep good at night, knowing yeah. that we're doing it this way, whether it's uh, slow or fast, right? But it's okay, and it, not every path is exactly. You're going to find what path is right for you guys, mm -hmm. but. Um, you can't, and you can you can mix it up too. You yeah. can figure out what that that equation is, but you can take money right now. And but the most important thing is, even if you whatever you do is protect your culture. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I say is protect your culture because you could take hundreds of millions of dollars now mm -hmm. and expand around the world. Mm -hmm. But when you negotiate, make sure you negotiate that these things are untouchable. 
Yeah. And if you can do that, then you can have the best of both worlds. But what happens to a lot of folks is they, they get lured by the money. And then a couple of years down the road, they're very miserable. Mm. And um, I've seen it yeah, firsthand. And I wish I could tell you a prettier story, but I've seen it where um, I stayed I stayed in the turtle lane. Mm-hmm. I saw all the rabbits go by, and they were they were flexing and flossing as mm-hmm. they went by, you know. And then now they're, they're yeah. crying in, in, you know. The little holes with their yeah, carrots. The little holes. <laughs> carrots crying. Carrots yeah. and crying. Yeah, because it comes <laughs> yeah. with that baggage, man. You know, sure. and usually the people with the money they're giving that money uh, can't dance or can't mm-hmm. cook, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it comes with that. But um, as long as you protect the culture, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. it's good. Do you keep like the same core team around you, like with every venture, or does that kind of like fluctuate? Um, somewhat, but again, because all the opportunities came very organically, mm-hmm. I have different companies and different partners, but I have a core group of about three or four people that stay with me through everything. Mm-hmm. And I have one person, her name's Natasha, who's the only person that transgresses across all platforms. Yeah. And mm-hmm. She's like my business partner right now. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts towards uh, like the concept of fusion? And I know some people don't like that term, but what are your thoughts on that? Um, again, I think it's a term. Uh, like I don't see what we do as fusion. I see it. I see it as just being us. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think the term again comes from a shallow inability to to try to categorize someone that's not you, right? Mm-hmm. right. So um, whether it's the word ethnic or fusion or whatever the case may be, it's like, let me put that Asian person or that person in this box to say, okay, I understand what you're trying to do, but um, I don't agree with it because that, you know, you don't understand what I'm trying to do. I don't understand what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know? So um, I'm just expressing myself like, I don't, if you're calling me fusion, I'm not looking at you and saying you're one thing. I'm not defining who you are in one word, you know? So um, that's why I don't believe in fusion because because it's someone else trying to define what you're trying to do, you know? So to me, it's, it's, we're, we're just, um, we're living life in, in what I call like the blurred lines and like the, cross sections of life and we're expressing um, our, our culture and our lifestyle in Los Angeles. And I think those are more like what you call like uh, micro regional like, like environments and stuff like that. So I think it's more about just defining like where you come from and what you're doing. Because fusion is different if you're coming from Hong Kong or Chengdu or Seoul or yeah. LA, you yeah. know? And so um, to label that across the board is totally different because what I do here in Koreatown and in San Gabriel Valley and the Valley in South Bay, even though it's Asian flavored food, it has nothing to do with Asia. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It has nothing to do with Asia. Yeah. Like the way I express myself and the way that, that we feed these streets and the way that we do our stuff I have no connection to Asia at all. I'm from Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, and um, and I'm closer to East LA than I am to Seoul, Mm -hmm. you know, not only in proximity, but also in lifestyle and culture and and, and soul and 
spirit, you know. And so, um, to me, yeah, I'm, I'm not Asian fusion. Yeah, some shit. Uh, would you say you're living your dream? Living my dream? Um, I think I'm beginning my dream, actually. You know, and uh, I, I, because my dream, I think, is a dream for other other people. I, I've through the last ten years, I've grown and found my purpose in life, and that's to help communities. And I don't know if you all know or all of you that are listening what I really do beyond just cooking, but um, you know, I'm out here, man, really trying to change the structure of how people live in this world, you know, changing uh, poverty and, and, and inner city communities. Um, I have a restaurant called Local in Watts with my partner, Dan Patterson, community of Watts in Compton, in South LA, South Central LA. And we're, you know, we're trying to spread this, this, this thing where um, we're trying to flip the whole economy of the world on its head because we're going through too many repeated generations of, uh, of neighborhoods with no jobs, no money, no opportunity, you know? And so um, my, my dream is that I want to create a world where maybe, maybe not this generation, maybe not next generation, but maybe two generations, three generations from now, like every poor brown or black kid doesn't have to grow up in an environment where there's no no resources, no education, no jobs, mm-hmm. no food, um, and no nutrition. You know, so yeah. I'm trying to take all of that, and, and I just want to I just want to look from my grave, you know, a hundred years from now, and see where um, we're not looking at our communities where it's like the same shit over and over again. So I'm doing what I can to, to figure that out and fix that. And, and whatever time I have left on the surface, I'm going to do it. You know, yeah. I really am. And, um, so for me, that's living the dream is uh, actually changing people's lives and, and being a voice for the voiceless and, you know, putting it out there and helping people, you know, yeah. and creating wealth. You know, not only wealth for myself, but prosperity and wealth for everyone. You know, and that's changing. That's changing um, a lot of things. It's also changing industry. It's changing uh, opportunities. Changing who be, you know, how people become rich, how how they manage their wealth. You know, things like that. So that's the stuff. You mentioned local. So local has a different sort of approach to like the fast food concept, right? Yeah. yeah for sure. uh, for lack of a better way to put it, healthier fast food, right? Um, yeah, it's healthy, healthy, delicious fast food, but also run by the community, yeah. employed by the community, speaking to the community, and then also um, uh, just managed and, and owned by the community. Yeah. Um, the, the goal of local is kind of twofold. One is to create a business that grows, you know, so that the people who invested and everyone who's involved um, – because there ain't nothing wrong with money. You know, we yeah. should think yeah. that money's okay. Sure. You know? A lot of times we hold ourselves back from prosperity because we think we don't deserve it. You know, like wherever you come from, we think like, um, it's not for me or I don't deserve it or we feel guilty about it, but we shouldn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like we should, we should feel like we deserve 
as much riches that should come our way. And, uh, and then the other thing is, um, so we want the business to grow in that aspect because uh, actually, because it's a positive thing. We need more positive stuff yeah. out there. Like actually um, I was talking this about someone I really, with someone I really respect from Rage Against the Machine, Zach Taylor oh, Rocha. Right? I love Rage Against yeah, the yeah, Machine. Yeah, yeah, And Zach <laughs> yeah. told me like just in a quick conversation, he was like, it's the one thing that I remember when I was going through this project and I was thinking about like, will it work? Will it not work? And he's like, this is the type of thing that needs to be everywhere. It's yeah. the type of thing that should succeed. And like, um, if anything should succeed, this should succeed and this should be everywhere. And it should be, you know, it should be overflowing with prosperity. And um, we need more stuff like that. The other thing is outside of the business part, we want some key stores like in Watts or Newark, um, to be owned by the community, you know, like so that those things can be passed on from generation to generation. We can show models of ownership because that's big. That's really big in the inner city is to show ownership. Um, and for the young kids, the youth to see, to see their elders or uncles and aunties or cousins or brothers working. Yeah, it's, it's a really big visual thing because um, I really believe in um, uh, memory impressions. Mm-hmm. So, because what you got to understand, you're from the Bay, so I'm talking about communities like East Oakland, West Oakland, Richmond, um, East Palo Alto, uh, East Side San Jose, here in Los Angeles, Watts, Compton, South Central LA, Inglewood, go out to East Coast, Newark, Camden. Brownsville, mm-hmm. uh, the South, you can uh, mid country talk about Ferguson, talk about South Side Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about all these communities, yeah. real communities, yeah. where there are no little league programs, mm-hmm. there are no after school programs, you know, there, there there are no jobs, there aren't these things, um, and so a, a lot of these kids are, are growing up where they don't see these things in their life and they don't have these impressions. So the key now is like if we can create these memory impressions, then this next generation, whatever other problems there are, at least they'll see, you know what, there's a restaurant. Mm-hmm. There's my uncle baking in that restaurant. You know, and these things will become memories in their mind. Yeah. You know? Whereas up until now we, we haven't had them. Yeah. It's amazing, man. Um so as a father, right, you have a daughter and yeah. um like I can see she looks up to you, just hanging out over here, right? Yeah, yeah. she's um, still, yeah. Yeah, still hanging still, out. I don't know how many more years I got left <laughs> to hang out with me, yeah. but I'm milking it for as long as yeah. I can. That's <laughs> amazing. So, like, have, being a father and, um, you know, obviously, it's, uh, I'm sure it's important for you to teach her uh, things about what success is and, and how to just live this life moving yeah. forward and making decisions, smart decisions. Uh, what would you say like that or how would you define success and how would you encourage not only your daughter, but like the, the listeners, you know, the future generations that are trying to pursue some sort of a career path? Like, what would you say to that? Well, I, I think you listen to what I say. She, she laughs. Yeah. But I, I try to teach her a few things. One is um, to, to, to be whoever you are. Um, I know that sounds cliche, but it's like to really... If you want to dance, mm-hmm. go dance, mm-hmm. you know, and if you want to do this, yeah, you know, if you, whatever it is, I'm not going to force you into something academic if that's not who you are. Uh, the other thing is I, I really teach her a lot to not say sorry if, she's, mm-hmm. if she didn't do anything wrong, especially, um, I don't know if it's genetic or 
historical or something, but us as Asians are always apologizing. We are, man. <laughs> we're like, Sorry always like that. bowing, we're bowing. Like, <laughs> apologizing for shooting. Yeah. 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 You know, it's true. And, uh, and being so like submissive. Yeah. And, um, and I, I really try to teach her like, don't ever be sorry for something if you didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, don't say sorry. Don't don't like apologize. Um, and um, you know, be very very uh, clear and confident uh, with what you want to do, how you want to do it. Um, and at the same time, the other end of that is be also be very respectful and, and you know, look people in the eye, say hello, say thank you. You know, um, be clear. So those are things um, I, I try to teach her day in, day out. And, and then I try to expose her to every single environment I can. So she comes with me everywhere, from walks to Beverly Hills to, you know, to anything, to eating, you know, European Michelin food to to street tacos, you know. Yeah. Um, Damn. Yeah, you know, from whatever, whatever it may be, from Broadway musicals to B-Boy, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know yeah, and so sure. exposing her to everything not being sorry, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, but I think if there is any advice, you also have to, you also have to own some level of, res- like, uh, I don't know what's the word, like respect and, and, and dignity within, mm-hmm. within this world. Like, you could be hard as, hard as fuck, you know, you could be crazy as hell, whatever you want to be, but, like, like, I mean, there's something to, like, looking someone in the eye and being honest, you know? So I always try to teach her to be honest, you know? doesn't mean you have to be boring or simple or anything, you know? But, um, but I, I just, I, I don't like, I don't like um, lies and, and backpedaling or mm-hmm. ever having to apologize for something, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just something the way I've always lived my life, even before I found cooking and all that, like, even before I knew what I was good at or anything like I was always someone that had a moral code even when I was doing immoral shit <laughs> I had a moral, there was like a moral code yeah. in my mind I feel you man right? I feel right? that, like that guidelines, yeah. guidelines yeah. even though it was maybe not sure. moral stuff. like when you're stealing socks from Target exactly. it's like this is not a good thing to do but I do need socks I do need socks <laughs> it's, you know it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's not it was my fault the, it was the moral code was like I'm only gonna take this amount yes, <laughs> yes. yeah I'm not gonna take the six pack I'm just gonna take the premium one pack yes. yeah, yeah. yeah I'm only, you know it's an ecosystem so I'm gonna just like live within the environment i'm not going to take more than i need yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not going to go back to this target this yeah. is wild <laughs> <laughs> <That's stupid. laughs> so it's like that that's what i try yeah, to do okay. whatever you do have a moral code and be honest for sure yeah. sure that's sick I gotta ask just because I'm a freaking huge fan of the oh. movie, man. Yeah, chef, yeah, chef, yeah, chef man. What was that like? <laughs> you feel short about it? I just want to, you know, just hear a little bit of that. John is amazing. Yeah. It's everything. If you're if you're uh, a nerd of of his films, whether whatever era you're a nerd of, whether it's the Swingers era yeah. or if it's um, Rudy, Rudy, <laughs> yeah, him and Rudy is amazing. Yeah. If it's uh, you know, even if it's uh, if your comic book. Geek and, mm-hmm. and if it's Iron Man, because um, he's uh, he became my best friend, man. Really, to be honest, like uh, we never meant it to be that way. Like uh, literally, the way I met John was through a job. So my agent called me and said, "Hey, 
John Favreau is making this movie. He needs a culinary consultant. Just like if he was making a dance movie, mm-hmm. he would maybe call you, Ben, and say, I just need to learn mm-hmm. some moves. Please teach me some moves. And I was supposed to just teach him and then bounce, mm-hmm. right? But um, but the moment we met, it was like, it, it was like um, we knew we were, like, just connected, yeah. you know? So it, it became less of a job, and it became more of a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And so me and him, from that day one, we just started, it no longer became work. You know, it was yeah. just like, it just, I felt like I had to give him everything I know about everything I know, how to make, you know, this film better and from a food perspective. And then, and then get into more layers and to just, even down to like little things of how someone would wear their apron, mm-hmm. exactly like how they would move their hands. Um, uh, all the little, little idiosyncrasies and, and superstitions of everything it would take to make that person feel like it was a real cook, mm-hmm. you know, or, or a real dancer, right? Like how you would wear your sock, how would you wear your shoes, yeah. your hat, you yeah. know, everything like that. And those are, you know, him allowing me into that world, that level, it, was, it allowed me to express everything. And so then the film became very, like, fluid, for us working together and I was there every single day of the set, editing, everything. But John is a, John is a really, really amazing, amazing human being. Like I've never, I've been around some very talented people, but I've never been around someone as talented as him. And I'm not just kissing his ass. I'm saying no, like yeah, for, sure, for sure, for real. Yeah. Like he has the ability to go from not knowing something to being proficient at it within seconds, wow. right? Yeah. So if you were to teach him a whole routine, mm-hmm. he could pick up a routine and dance side by side with you probably in one session. Maybe That's wild. <laughs> I believe it. I remember yeah. his, his swing his swing dancing yeah. uh, and swing. It was mm-hmm. legit, man. And it, I saw it like as I was teaching him knife skills, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. where it would be it would be, you know, it would be one thing where it looked very, not clumsy, that's the, that's, but let's just say clumsy for now. It, it looked just very rudimentary mm-hmm. to me, like, okay, just move your thing a, a millimeter this way, do this, move your hand in this motion, watch me as I do this. And then he would watch, 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 make the necessary adjustments in his mind. And then the next take, with literally within like 30 seconds, it would be like, I, and I would see it almost like you would see a time lapse. I would see it like go from this, like, and I would just watch it in front of my eyes, and boom. Yeah. And he's, and he's like a master at it. And then it would go on with every little thing we did. Um, I love John because we both think the same way in a sense, creatively. Like we're both like um, disruptors mm-hmm. in the environments. Like he's done it. You know, he's done it a lot. He did it with swingers. He re he redefined the independent. Uh, film genre. Mm-hmm. I did it with Kogi with with the food truck and gourmet food on the streets. He did it with Iron Man, redefining the superhero you know um, world. Uh, before that, all the movies kind of suck. Not, uh, <laughs> not I, I, actually, I want to take that back because I'm a huge fan of Sam Raimi. Oh yeah, um, you know. Um, but they, they were different. They were different, yeah. and they weren't character driven in the sense mm-hmm. that you know, and they weren't. Fully um, 360 like that, but uh, 
But Iron Man changed the game. Totally. Mm-hmm. Completely changed the game and created the universe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Chef, you know, yeah. um, redefined again uh, the independent film market. And, um, you know, in a world where um, we were filled with so much, like, kind of negativity and, like, hate, hatred and, like, toxic commenting on our social media stuff, you know, very hurtful things that we were doing to each other's people, right? Like, you know, um, where you cancel people or, you know, you say mean things, you know, you create a movie where everyone felt good. Yeah. You know, in an environment where it wasn't cool to feel good, like you know, a feel good movie like sure. that. And, um, and he knew and, uh, and, and, and connected. I didn't even understand it as we were making it because, I kept thinking, I learned so much about filmmaking and storytelling through him, but I kept focusing on the food part, right? Like the food part and the chef story and all these things. And and during the process, I almost lost track of, he was also telling another story about, about a parent and a kid within it, you know, and, and, you know, and I saw it, but I really, it really didn't connect with me until when the movie came out and then we started getting all these comments and people coming up to us and crying and stuff. I thought they were crying because the food looked so damn good. <laughs> but they were crying because, because they were crying because they were saying, "Oh, you know, I, you know, I divorced, and I'd never seen my kid. And, you know, made me go out and spend time with my kid." And stuff yeah, like that. so uh, it was really cool on that aspect. But um, John is amazing. Actually, I want to bring John by here sometime. Oh, hey, oh, I want to yeah. dance with you guys because he's a really, really good dancer. He's awesome. I want to test out this how fast he can get some things <laughs> down. I want to yeah, test it. What's the most uh, intense like level that you guys have? I would probably well. Just got to teach him some crazy we, routine, bro. Yeah, yeah or we just tell one of our floor bros teach him like how to flare. Oh man! Like this is how your head spin. He just one. That's dope. I'm so down for that. That's crazy. Yeah, man. We're we're down for that any day. Uh, yeah. Um, what's next, man? Like what's the what are you working on? I'm sure you're working on tons of things. What's going on in your world? Um what's next? I have a Las Vegas restaurant coming up next. Hey. That's, that, that, yeah, that's the most uh immediate next thing. It will open December of 2018. Whoa. And it'll be in the new park MGM, um, which is the old Monte Carlo which is where you started. Yeah. With, you know, so you know the back halls really well. I know them all. Yeah. <laughs> Secret tunnels. And all that. I can get yeah. to the employee dining room still. There you go. Got you. Floor, <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we got that. That's going to be a, a really, really great project. So since the hotel in Koreatown has come to an end for me, we're going to take that whole thing that we did and try to do a 2.0 version of it in Vegas. Sick, yeah. Bring LA culture, DJs, vibes, all that stuff. Um, it's going to be a cool project, man. It's uh, Lady Gaga is going to do a three-month residency. Wild. So grand opening yeah. is January for the whole property, and she'll do a three-month residency. All these restaurants and chefs are going to be involved in the project. It's going to be next level. Um, I have a TV show that I'm filming currently right now. Sick. It's called Broken Bread. And that's going to be on KCET and Tastemade together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's going to I think that's going to be really good. I think when you all see it, it'll be like how you guys feel with Chef. It'll be this this positive energy force that, that I think you're going to really connect to. Because we're going to 
the show is we're just looking for people doing positive work out there in the world you know, oh, yeah. against all odds. Yeah. And so um, that's coming out probably February, but we're filming now. So those are the two main things. You know, Amazing. Beautiful stuff, stuff for all of that. That's man. so dope. That's so sick. Thank you. Uh, we're going to do a quick little lightning round session with you. That's cool. We're going to fire off some questions. Yes. It's like off the top of your head. You just got to answer. Feels no good. talk. Ready? Are we ready? Favorite book. All right, there we go. Favorite book. Favorite book. Kitchen Confidential. Ooh. Favorite John Favreau movie. Swingers. Ooh, okay. Uh, best rapper of all time. Rakim. Who? Oh. Ooh, favorite kitchen utensil. Uh, wooden spoon. Ooh. Favorite spice. Gochugaru. Oh, Aha. That's the Korean pepper. That's a Korean, oh. Korean chili. <laughs> uh, the, the food item that has the most hype that should not be so hype. <laughs> right now it's hummus. Whoa. <laughs> Everybody's open. Bring love hummus. Whoa. I love hummus. I'm not going to hummus. But everyone is opening a hummus restaurant right now. It's kind of annoying. Oh, uh, favorite B-Boy freeze that you've done or power move anything in that genre what was your favorite thing to do i got some old ones i used to do the colt 45 really oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i could do the uh i could definitely do a backspin really good i could do the turtle a little bit and uh my word was all right hey that's respect right there dude uh what you would like to see less of in the world Ooh. uh hate uh hate for sure uh, hate and um, and I think definitely hate and negativity. That was beautiful. That was awesome. <laughs> um, dream collab or like work project that you would like to accomplish? King Jez and John Favreau. Oh, that's so easy. You, you heard know, it. Done and yeah. done. We're going to make whole, it happen. The whole routine with John in there, no one knowing. Mask him up. Oh, yeah. yeah and good. I think with that, we could wrap up the lightning. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was a blow up already. Oh, man, a uh, so we have this thing called Golden Rule. I'm sure you know what that is for yourself. Just like your life mantra, your motto, what you live by. Uh, could be a quote. It could be something that you develop for yourself. Um, if you were to have a golden rule, what would it be? My golden rule. I'm living my golden rule, right. which is um, which is it's not about only you. And if you have the ability to help others, then you better fucking do it. Mm. You know, and um, and it doesn't have to be world changing from the start. You know, things start small. So it could be even like when you don't got nothing, still be generous. Mm -hmm. you know, so mine is being generous. for Sure. It's something I've always lived by. Even when I was young and I was told that those things were worthless mm -hmm. and that I was being childish and um, that I was the only one that was going to lose. Because like I would share everything. Like if I had money in my pocket, I'd share it. With mm -hmm. everybody. If I had a cigarette, I'd break it in half. You know, whatever the case may mm -hmm. be, it's like just something that's always been in my DNA. But being generous is what got me here, is what saved my life, you know. And so um, I think if you can find a way to be generous in whatever it is that you do, um, that I, I promise you will pay off. I know if you're younger, it's maybe something that doesn't, you know, seem that exciting right now. Mm -hmm. But um, I, 
can guarantee you that it's something that will that will meet you on the other end of the journey, you know, and um, it's the thing, it's the homie that will be with you forever if you're generous. Wow. Damn. That was freaking good, man. You have, to share. You have yeah. to share knowledge. And it comes down to whatever it is. Even if you're, you know, even if you're a master in a dojo, you're sharing knowledge mm -hmm. of your martial art to the students, you know, you guys are sharing for future generations. And you have to be generous to where it's like, it's a weird thing because, like, you still got to have it yourself, but you got to be generous to where you want others to surpass you or challenge you and you keep up as long as you can, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure you do it with, with dancing. Like, yeah. You want others to be better than you, but yeah. you still you still can gotta go toe-to-toe -to -toe, yeah. 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 to lead them. Mm -hmm. Same thing with me and cooking, yeah. you know. I want these young cooks to be better than me, but they still can't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know you yet, yeah, but I want yeah, them to be. Yeah, yeah, you know, for sure. And I'm giving them everything they can to be me. Yeah, but they're still not there yet. So until they get there, I'm the one that has to be generous. Absolutely. And maybe when they get there, they can be generous back to me. Yeah. So. Inspiration, man. It's full circle. It's full circle. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, where can people find you, man? What's uh, the socials? Plug all your all your oh. stuff, man. Y'all know where to find me. Hey. K-O-G-I, Kogi BBQ on Twitter. Um, just look for that Kogi truck. Uh, I'm also in Chinatown at Chego, you know, and, uh, you know, and everyone knows I'm out there every single day on the street. So if you see me, just holler. Are you on the IG? Oh, yeah. My uh, handles are, my personal handles are Riding Shotgun LA. Hey. All one word. That's tough. Riding Shotgun LA. Don't worry, guys. I'll link to the, to the show notes. Oh, okay. You already, no. you already know. Well, dang, Roy, dude, thank you so much. I know we went long, bro. I feel like I just had, like, tons of stuff that just oh. blowing out. Yeah. Um, but I got to say, man, you are a huge inspiration to myself, uh, all of us here. Like, we're so super stoked that you came by. Um, and, like, it, you really are real about what you say. Like, when I, you know, look at what we're doing, we're starting this podcast. We're, like, we're a dance crew, right? I'm like, what yeah. business do we have starting something? But for somebody like you to be so supportive of even something like this, yeah. like some sort of a new project... Um, it just shows that you care about the community from what we're doing on this end mm -hmm. to what you're doing with local and, um, bro, you're just a straight up, you are a humanitarian and like, I love how you keep it real with, uh, your views on money and how, um, the power that it has, but to not have it have power over you. Right. Yes, exactly. And so right. we gotta, we gotta utilize our resources and our, our platforms and our reach to, uh, shift culture and make a difference, man. And, and you are the living embodiment of that, bro. So thank you so much for like literally dropping gems upon gems. Like I can't wait for this one to drop. I also wanted to add that own. like you are a freaking artist. Yeah. Like you're the yeah. way that you're you're you represent yourself and the way that you create your ideas. Everything is so artistically humble and conceptually. Mm -hmm. um, it's really done well in an artistic way, and I, I can see it, and I truly respect that. Sorry to cut you off. I just, no, you're not I just want to throw that out there before there was no more chance, baby. man. <laughs> I, no, I appreciate that because it's, it's weird for us because my art form uh, in culinary and street food and stuff, it, it, it's not traditional, right? Yeah. So it's like, but, but the people I connect with the most are artists because that's the way I look at the world, too, and I express myself. Um, but it's not it's – not, painting it's not art it's not music it's not traditional but um but i appreciate that and i appreciate this platform because you know i'm a real quiet dude but when people ask me for stuff i'll you know i, I can talk to girls 
<laughs> uh, but I usually don't burden, especially the youth with it, because I don't know if you're ready for it yet, mm-hmm. or if you want to hear it, you know, yeah. or whatever, but, but I appreciate that you do. Sure. Well, you're a big bro. You're young to me, man. I appreciate you coming through. Um, Kaylin, we hope to see you take more classes here at Dojo. Yeah, yeah. class later tonight. <laughs> there it is. There it is. But, uh, dude, thanks again for stopping by, bro. And, uh, Mike, dude, we got to take you up on the, on the Fabro thing. You know what I'm yeah. saying? We got to make that one happen. Well, he has to join in with us, though. <laughs> oh, you got to get us, You got to get those turtles back. You got to get those backspins back. My daughter's going to die. amazing. All right. Well, I think we're good, guys. Yeah, cool. Good. Thanks Thank so much you. for listening. Uh, if you liked the episode, make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Subscribe if you haven't. Uh, check out Kinja's podcast with a K dot com. Uh, actually, if you if you actually search for Kinja's podcast with the regular spelling, you'll find it too. So we got them all covered. Yeah, we got it all hey. covered. Hey, uh, well, see you guys next time. Bang bang. Peace, peace. Kinja Bright.